There's no one right way to life, wife, or parent. I'm an empty nester with a full life. I'm a young mom who's often running on empty. I am color in the lines. I'm running with scissors. I'm sensible shoes, sometimes taking myself far too seriously. I'm holding it together with three bobby pins and a lot of self-deprecating humor. I'm Aunt Mara. I'm Niece Kira. Together, we're Sandy and Shwani, bridging generations to pass down wisdom, uptake vitality, take whatever is bringing you down, and lift you up, exploring, empowering, and elevating. We're Mood Mood Mamas! Welcome to today's episode. We're going to be talking about forgiveness. So psychologists generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who's harmed you. So forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. My favorite part of that definition is vengeance. Vengeance. It's a good word, one that we don't use often enough. Like we'd have to watch Count of Monte Cristo or something. Vengeance. (laughs) And sometimes we feel like in order to get to that place of forgiveness, that person who harmed us has to suffer. We want to be the one wielding the sword. We want to be the one smiting them, making sure that we get our vengeance. Smite me, oh mighty smiter. (laughs) I think that's from Bruce Almighty. Yes, I agree. Or, you know, if just something bad happened to those people, like they tripped out of their front door, doesn't necessarily have to be me. But yeah, karma. <laughs> so, I was talking to a friend who was in this struggle in a business relationship. And I said, you know, you just need to wish him well, send him off and send blessings upon him, wish him well. And he said, oh, I do wish him well. I wish he fell down a well. <laughs> Exactly. You know, we're good at wishing him well. (laughs) Fall down that well. Wishing well. (laughs) So who does anger hurt? In Buddhist psychology, forgiveness is understood as a way to end suffering, to bring dignity and harmony back to life. This is illustrated by the story of two ex-prisoners who meet after many years. And the first prisoner says to the second prisoner, this isn't a joke, but <laughs> the first prisoner. <laughs> like, it sounds like a joke when you're telling it. <laughs> the first prisoner says to the second prisoner, have you forgiven your captors yet? And the second prisoner responds, no, never. The other prisoner re- replies, well then, they still have you in prison. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner all along was you. That's really powerful. I've heard there's people they've interviewed Holocaust survivors, they talk about the people who survived were the people who were able to see beauty still in those settings. They were the people who were able to to control what they could control, whether that was just sharing a little bit of their small rations so that they could still be a giver or distracting people. I love that movie, Life is Beautiful. Do you remember that movie? It, it's one of the few movies I watched that had subtitles. And I think it won an Academy Award. This father in the story, so he and his wife are separated, but he has this little boy with him. The dad speaks Italian 
and the little boy speaks Italian, but the, the, obviously the guards are speaking German. And so what he does is he tells his son that this is a game and that if they play the game right, they get to win a tank at the end. He said, you know, this man is going to sound like he's angry, but it's part of the game. The guards will stand up there and say all their mean German words, and, and then he translates it into something else. He tells the little boy what he needs to hear to make him feel safe. Like, this is part of the game, and, and at the end, they have to hide. You need to stay here until the, your tank comes. What ends up happening is the Americans do come in a tank, and they liberate them. It's just so sweet. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. I really love that. That's, that's so powerful. But at one point, I'm pretty sure he takes a risk and he sneaks into some aspect of the camp and he puts on this record that he and his wife loved and he puts it over the PA so that she knows he's still alive and she gets to hear this beautiful music. Of course, then he gets punished for it, but worth it. Yeah, totally, totally worth it. Oh my goodness. Um, So another story that I know of this man he watched his wife and his five children being murdered by the Nazis five years earlier. And he said, I had to decide right then whether to let myself hate the soldiers who had done this. He said, I realized in my practice, I had seen what hate could do to people's minds and bodies. Hate had killed those six people who mattered most to me in the whole world. And I decided that I would spend the rest of my life, whether it was a few days or many years, loving every person that I came in contact with. Wow. That's yeah, pretty powerful. Wow. So I actually had a, a situation with a coworker once. Gosh, she and I, we were best of friends, really just, she was a sweet woman. And then all of a sudden things started to shift and somehow there'd been a falling out that was still really kind of confusing to me. Other coworker said that she had been talking about me to our boss hmm. in the best light. And part of me wanted to confront her. Part of me wanted to be, I mean, I was really angry. I sing her praises. I would never, and especially not talk about her or judge her work ethic. These feelings, it's like, okay, I just won't say hi to her. I won't, as soon as I walk in, I'm just not going to say hi. You know? <laughs> that's I so not you. <laughs> I, that's the problem is I realized this only lasted for like three days <laughs> because, you know, or like if she, we would have to interact about something, you know, I tried to keep it very short, very brief because I also didn't want to feel like I was weak. There was this feeling like if I continue to be my myself, which is loving and forgiving and, and positive that that's going to come across as disingenuous. <laughs> I, I was concerned about that perception. Or that I was naive and I didn't know that she didn't like me and she was in on this game sort of thing. I don't, I don't know. Like these were the th- thoughts in my head. So what did you do? So the next day, Monday comes around and I just went back to being me. Hi, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Name, names have been changed to protect day. the innocent. <laughs> right? Your dog eating any rocks lately? Oh, poor thing. Like, you know, just continued that it didn't matter because she had never said those things to me. And as far as I knew until I found out from my coworkers otherwise, I assumed that we were on great terms. And so I just continued to operate that way. And I didn't feel as yucky as I did before. All the fears that I thought I had about being weak or perceived that I was naive, all of that dissipated when I just stayed true to me. It was like less of a burden. Because those three days, I wouldn't want to like 
even want to like walk past her desk. It's like, I just wanted to hide and, and hunker down and, you know, was worried about any interaction that we had. And that just took up too much mental real estate. <laughs> Reminds me of Tinkerbell. You know, she was so small. She could only keep one emotion in her body at one point, one point in time. There was no other emotions. Just like, I am angry. <laughs> How powerful. It sounds like you made a conscious decision to forgive that situation if it happened at all. And I think that's so good to not get caught up in drama of rumors and talking about other people because we really don't know. We don't know their intention. We don't know the setting. Things can be taken out of context. Sometimes I think we feel like we have to confront the person in order to have resolution. And we kind of talked about that in, in the Boundary podcast. The truth is we don't always have to confront. We can make a decision in ourselves. We can decide how we'll act instead of react. Right, right. Which is pretty powerful. And I think we have to look at almost like life is a play. These characters who come in and some have these short little roles to play and others have larger ones. And there's villains and there's good guys. <laughs> but all of them are necessary. Otherwise, our life wouldn't be interesting, right? It would just be a really boring play. So we just need to look at that and we need to remember that life changes. Like that's the only thing that is constant. Recognize that this person is on my stage, but I can send them off stage, right? Stage, exit, stage, left. <laughs> right. Because for those three days, it was really about this person and she was not a hero, but she's the hero of her own story. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I've heard of people who will maybe write their angry letter. They'll write down all the things that, you know, you, the person, the perpetrator has done to hurt them. Then there's always that temptation to want to send it to that person. They need to know everything that they did. Do you think that helps? Do you think it would help to send the letter? I think it can help if you send the letter, but I do think that you don't have to always send that letter. I think if you need to create a better boundary, if part of that letter is I forgiven you and I want to never see you again, you know, I don't want to have contact, then I think that's fine. But in general, you need to look at that as part of a cathartic process where you just write the letter and then you destroy it because you're doing it to set yourself free, like you talked about as a prisoner. Right. I also think that I am more of an audio processor like verbal processor maybe. So where it would help is like talking to a friend about it, like a trusted you know, or a trusted family member where I can just spill everything out because it's going to help me process it. Yeah. I don't, I think that letter's for you and however you want to go about releasing that anger or that frustration to get to forgiveness, then you should do that. Cause I think when we don't forgive, it keeps us stuck in the past the past history and all those hurts. And it, it brings the past hurts into the present moment. And so then they're there muddying your mind. They're coloring how you look at the world and interact with people. And so we really want to let go of that for ourselves so that we can move forward. Right. Oprah Winfrey said, forgiveness is giving up hope that the past could be any different. And say that again. Forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could be any different. So you're giving up hope that the past could look anything than what it is, and it's not going to color your present anymore if you're holding on to the past and wanting it, like, well, if only I had done this, or if only this situation hadn't happened to me. 
that things would be different now. And so they're not accepting their current present because they're not okay with their past. They're not, not accepting that. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you want to, instead of keep thinking, if only I'd had different parents, or if only I hadn't met this person, then my life would be better. If only I didn't sell my yellow VW bug great car. Why did I do that? I had nothing but crappy cars all along the way after it. I had this Nissan truck that the alternator died. I didn't have the money to fix it. So I'm charging it every night like a remote control car <laughs> so I could get to work the next day. It leaked a quart of oil every single day and I had to put it back in. I really could have just dumped the tray and put it back in, but I'm buying quarts of oil and if I just kept that yellow VW bug, I could be in parades, you know, 4th of July parades. There's a whole like VW nation. <laughs> it's a 78 turbo. But I have this friend, um, his name is Jeremy Laplace. And we've, our families have been friends for years. And so he knows this story well. And he said, maybe we wouldn't have gotten as close if you didn't sell that VW bug. And it, all of a sudden, by that reframing, him helping me to reframe that moment, I, I don't look back and think, ah, fateful sometimes. <laughs> but it, it's, it's less angry and more just, oh. Here, I don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. There's that great, there's this, that great scene in Groundhog Day where he, he's actually trying to kill himself because he you know, he's repeating the same day over and over and he's got the little groundhog on, on the steering wheel. <laughs> driving crazy. And like, Don't drive angry. <laughs> I, we showed that uh, movie to Sabella recently. Oh my gosh. It's weird how much movies or art is so a part of our culture mm -hmm. that some ideas you would never think about until these movies or poems or whatever it is, media is introduced. Bell's at that show was like, so he's having the same day over and over and over. <laughs> like her mind was blown by this concept. I'm thinking, yeah, we reference Groundhog Day like it's like everybody knows it, but I yes. guess until that moment, she didn't. <laughs> that and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I, when my I'm failing as a parent, why have I not shown her this yet? <laughs> well, she needs to be a teenager probably for that one. But when my when my daughter met her husband, he had never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I'm like, how do you become an adult without having seen that as a teenager? <laughs> One of my very best friends just made, named her guinea pig Ferris because he always <laughs> loved the day off. It is in her home. <laughs> Ferris uh, Bueller. Bueller. Uh, <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> What's the risk of holding on to anger? Oh. I, I can tell you about that. <laughs> uh, Karen Schwartz, she's a doctor and a director of the Mood Disorder Adult Consultation Clinic at John Hopkins Hospital. Wow. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yes. She explains that there's enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, immune response. Those changes then can increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. And research also points to forgiveness or lack thereof and the health connection as you age. So maybe you could be really angry at your second grade teacher. <laughs> if you were to still be angry at your second grade teacher, you know, after 
the older you get, that that's going to be harder on your overall well-being. Because that's what we talked about. The body doesn't lie. So if you're walking around in that state of chronic anger or frustration, that fight or flight mode, it saps your adrenals. It lowers your immune system, makes you susceptible to all those microbes. So again, forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. I've heard it said, resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Oh, that's good. That's really good. So I feel like we have to make that conscious decision to forgive. I read an interesting book. It was called Zero Limits. Uh, it's by Joe Vitale. He's well a well-known writer when, you, when it comes to changing your thinking. And he met this man in Hawaii and he had worked at a mental institution and then all the patients started to get better after he worked there. They figured out pretty soon there were, you know, there were, there were 25 patients and then there were only 10 and the numbers kept reducing. They asked him, what is going on here? And he just said, I'm using this technique on them. And it's called Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono. It's not hope, no, hope, no, hope, no. <laughs> hope, no, hope, no. Hope, no. Ho'oponopono. Okay, say that again. Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono. Because Islander, right? Yes. Okay. What does this yes. mean? So he said he was just repeating these four phrases in his mind. Anytime he interacted with any of the patients, he would say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. And it just sounds so simple, but I kind of want to talk about some of these phrases. So obviously I'm sorry. You can say that to another person, or you could even say it to yourself. Like, I am so sorry that these people don't recognize my value. I'm so sorry that I feel slighted or judged or condemned. You know, it's this active process where you start to identify the feelings because we have to deal with, with the feelings. We have to identify them so that we can let go of them. I really like that. I've never thought about saying I'm sorry to myself. Like, I am so sorry I left all of these laundry, all this laundry for you that you today. <laughs> Kira, I am so sorry you have to spend your day folding this laundry because I was <laughs> too lazy yesterday. <laughs> Is it like that? <laughs> well, we were just kind to someone else. We would say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry there's that huge pile of laundry you have to deal with. But why can't we say that to ourselves? Right? Why can't we? make me feel a lot better about my past self. (laughs) I'm there for me, even if I didn't do a great job yesterday. (laughs) That's really important in that self-talk that you don't beat your past self up. I'm sorry, past Kira was so distracted. (laughs) Distracted is good. I guess where you put your attention. Might be some ADD in me yet. (laughs) After... I'm sorry. The next phrase is please forgive me. And this is a very controversial part of it. In fact, it's very confusing to me. I really tried to understand what does he mean by please forgive me? And what he means is take responsibility for your part. Now I've got to say at the get go in situations of abuse or adultery, it is not your fault. So, so let me be very, very clear about that. No victim shaming here, (laughs) but actually removing blame And not assigning responsibility to anyone for what you're experiencing means that you're willing to say, I may not understand why I feel this way, why I have this illness, why I've been victimized, why I had an accident, but I'm willing to say without any guilt or resentment that I own it. When we take responsibility for an experience, 
then we feel like we can also take responsibility for removing it or learning from it. Right. Well, and with the exception of those, of those cases, those big, big hurts, I think of situations I've had with, even with my husband, with Cody, if, if we're arguing and maybe we're arguing about parenting, I always try to admit my role in the situation of even though I may not feel like I'm in the wrong here. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Let's be honest, I am not in the wrong here. But I can see where maybe I escalated things, or I can see where if I would have supported this situation better, that maybe he wouldn't feel blah, blah, blah. But just by acknowledging my actions, my role in the argument, I feel like that first eases the tension and allows him to also be vulnerable and we can come to the conversation as equals as we are. I make lots of parenting mistakes. I promise that. Um, so the question is, do you want to be right or do you want to have harmony? That's what I ask myself all the time in the, in the situation. Like, even if I am right, what is the right, what is the good of being all alone on the top of that mountain? Because I'm right. No, no. I agree. I agree. Cody and I can be pretty competitive though. His cousin once said, gosh, your relationship is just all this competition about the dumbest stuff. Like, you know, who can pour the milk better? (laughs) I'm like, because we just don't find about the big things, you know, we'll just keep being right about these dumb things. Yeah, no, I agree. I would rather have harmony. Okay. So please forgive me versus take responsibility for your part. Did I blend those two together? I mean, when you say, please forgive me, you are owning that I'm responsible for my response because when we get victimized or put upon, then we immediately judge that other person's intentions. I was recently in a situation where I was working with an organization and there were some people who didn't like me and I felt like, oh my gosh, they don't know my heart. They don't know my intentions. And, and yet they were projecting that I had had selfish intentions in my interactions with them. And what I realized is I needed to not judge them either because maybe, and, and, and really be willing to look at myself and say, what is my part in this? How am I coming across to the world? Even if they don't know my heart and even if they don't know my intentions, clearly the interactions we had, I was doing something that was triggering something in them. Something that made them feel like I was pushing past what they wanted or bullying, you know, my way that I wanted to have it happen, even though I was the one who felt bullied. Gosh, that is so insightful. Did you find the things that they, that maybe you were not intentionally trying to project? Were you able to find what they wanted and did you change that or did you just accept it? Like, well, I can understand where there was this misunderstanding or misinterpretation of my, of me, but that's their problem. Or should you change? I just think you need to be honest. You need to discover what is the message of this situation. You know, when we talk about this person on my stage, they may not be there for very long, but they're clearly giving me an opportunity to look at how I come across. And so that's why I'm trying to embrace some of those things we talked about. Softening my automatic I can fix this. I can make this better. Let me tell you how to giving suggestions. Wow. Well, that's one way to do it. Would you like another idea? And just suggesting uh, so that they can hear, well, there is a way to go way faster or, or get something more done in the time given, but not 
like I have the only answer. Does your family watch Survivor? Yes. My dad was almost going to be on the very first Survivor ever. Like he, I, we still watch his uh, intro video. David flew him to California. I think he, we have the mug as the consolation. You know, I like, haven't seen mug? it. Oh my gosh. I want to, I want to see it. <laughs> <Pretty child. funny. laughs> it's always funny to watch those reality TV shows, Amazing Race and Bachelorette. Yes. I always wonder when the person watches it back, do they see what the rest of America sees? Do they see that they're whiny or that they're controlling or bossy? Like on Survivor, the person who's like, this is how we do it. And this is the shelter. and We've got to do this. They usually get voted out first. Nobody enjoys that. Nobody wants to be told what to do. But I really think when you were telling your story that you're so much my kindred spirit, because it's like, especially if you're excited about something, you just want to help. And you just sort of this big, helpful, you know, large, big, helpful arms. I don't mean it like that, but you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) please don't talk about my arms. I I know I need to work them out more in the gym. But you know, it's just like this gift wrapping of like, I can do this. And especially if you're passionate about it, it'd be hard to restrain yourself and that I'm sure I've offended people because of that too. I mean, just yesterday, my dad's like, oh, I have this business plan. Kira, can you help me look over it? And I'm like, oh, and we're going to change all of this. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> Wait, Kira, go back. Control Z, what? I need that sentence. Okay. All right. Sorry. My bad. Which he was generous, but he's my dad. If I was somebody else or if he was somebody else, maybe they wouldn't be as receptive or wouldn't know the aspects of my personality and, and work around them. Right. (laughs) Right. With taking responsibility, it allows us again, to be kind instead of being right. You know, there's this Chinese proverb that says, if you're going to pursue revenge, you'd better dig two graves, which to me is saying that resentment will destroy you too. And that's the problem is if we continue in a pattern of behavior, it becomes part of our nature or part of our character, right? In finishing the Ho'oponopono, the thank you part is, thank you for bringing something to my awareness. Thank you for showing me something that maybe I could adjust and, and keeping our hearts soft with that. I love you. I love you is a really strong thing to say to somebody that you hate. <laughs> really, really strong. Or resent or are bitter or angry with, but we have to choose love. We have to choose love. I heard it really interesting. I don't know if it's a parable that we each have a wall with white and black birds. When we send loving thoughts to someone, when we send good wishes or blessings to people, it's like we're sending out these little white birds to go visit them. Then that leaves an empty space where they were roosting, but it allows other people to send their white birds into into to fill that space. So blackbirds can only occupy blackbird spots and whitebirds can only occupy whitebird spots. So if we send out our blackbirds and you know what the blackbirds are, (laughs) those are our judgments. Those are the mean things that we say when that bird leaves the nest, then it leaves a space for other people to send blackbirds back to fill that spot. And obviously it's very metaphorical, but I like blackbirds are scary. Yeah. I like the idea of thinking if I keep my blackbirds at home, then no one else, there's no room for any attacking. There's no room for anyone to hurt me. If I send out those white birds, then I'm opening myself back to receive love because I really do think that what we put out into the world comes back to us multiplied. I like that. Keep your blackbirds at home. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And if you're ever angry, keep your blackbirds at home. (laughs) 
bring them back home to roost now that you don't, you don't need to send them out. So we went to a festival in California and we stopped at this, I think we're in Bakersfield in California. And we stop off at this gas station and there are these crows or the ravens. I don't know, the bigger ones. They are huge. They're like two feet tall, big wingspan, and they're all scooting about. <laughs> it was really scary. Cody runs us to go pay the gas station attendee. We drove all through the night. So it's like 5 a.m. right now. So maybe that's contributing to this fear of these blackbirds. But um, I'm rolling up the windows because there were hundreds of them here. So I'm thinking... I don't want any of those blackbirds to come and get me. <laughs> those guys are creepy. That's perfect. Because if you have that strong visualization of what those creepy blackbirds are like, you're going to think twice before you let them let your blackbirds fly, right? They're scooting along the ground. Like it was very much a Wicked Witch of the West. Like, oh, those are flying monkeys. But still, like it was very, <laughs> apparently I have problems with those too. Keep your monkeys at home. Keep your blackbirds at home. <laughs> Uh, to me, the I love you part is wishing the best for someone. There was a really interesting book my friend gave me once called The Gentle Art of Blessing. In the book, the author says, to bless means to wish unconditionally and from the deepest chamber of your heart, unrestricted good for others and events. It means to hold in reverence, to behold with awe that which is always a gift from the creator. To bless is to invoke like divine care or to speak or think gratefully for, confer happiness. Although we are never ourselves the actual bestower, but simply a joyful witness of life's abundance. So the author suggests blessing everything, blessing the day, blessing the person who gives you your morning coffee, the people you pass on the street. I come here with a scenario in my head, like someone cuts you off in traffic and it's like, I hope you win the lottery tomorrow. That is so great. That is so great. But imagine the change in your energy when you do that. Instead of who are you and you know why are you in my way? When you wish something good for someone else, I feel like leaves that energy for it to come back multiplied to you, right? Because right. no one can be our enemy unless we put that label on them, right? Ultimately, no outside event, no person can harm us unless we give them the power to do so. Again being aware of in instances with abuse, that is, that's a different setting. We're talking about everyday types of things, right? Right. But to bless with that distinction is really the ultimate form of giving, right? And I was thinking when you talked about, I wish you win the lottery. My friend says when she drives and someone cuts her off, she all, or speeds past her, she always tries to think of a good intention. Like maybe their child is hurt and they're rushing home or, just something that they have a greater need and you just, you send them, oh, please let me get out of your way. I, I know that you have something urgent and not meaning it sarcastically. No, I, I really like, maybe I'll start out that way. Like the next person that cuts me off, like, I hope you win the lottery, but then hopefully I'll, I'll think about it. Like, yeah. Okay. I hope you win the lottery. I hope you win. Like I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> I think it also helps us to look at how we have grown or changed as a result of our experiences. So what have you observed in your life when things have been difficult, when someone has hurt you, has there been growth? Oh, absolutely. I think sometimes we would never willingly choose experiences 
and we wouldn't choose the pain that comes from it. But if we can learn to look for the growth, if we can look for the silver lining of that, I was talking to a client this last week about change and in her paradigm, her worldview, change was dangerous. I said, I think we can learn a lot from nature. And if you look at nature, when growth happens, it has to come through change. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly, there's going to be change. And there's also that little space where it's a pile of goo inside that cocoon and it's really nothingness. We have to have that breakdown. We have to have kind of that space to allow the change and the growth. Even a seed, the seed has to break open and then start to grow. So there is a transformation process that happens. We need to not be afraid of embracing change. We need to not be afraid to look at what lessons have I learned? Who have I become? In my situation, when I felt judged and condemned by these people, I had to choose peace for myself. I had to choose to forgive so that I could find that peace. And I feel like it's made me a better person. It's made me more patient. It's shown me that I can still look somebody in the eye and smile, even if they're going to roll their eyes and look away. That's tough. That's tough. I hope you win the lottery. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope they win the lottery. I hope they win the lottery. (laughs) Not you, they. (laughs) No, both of us. I hope we both win the lottery, right? I, we, but we need to recognize that we are worthy and we are lovable. Even right. if, if we have been betrayed, even if we have been hurt by other people. Right. 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 Well, I, yeah, I think that you, you do learn from all these experiences. Well, and you can choose what to learn from these experiences. They say pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Oh, I like that. I like that. I wish I knew who said it, but somebody said it. Somebody. Somebody somewhere. first. <laughs> and sometimes you have to like really investigate because it just all gets blurred on the internet. This person said it and then this person said it and no one really knows. No, some things we do. But what about forgiving ourselves? Do you think that's just as hard sometimes as oh, harder, forgiving right? others? I think I can be much more generous to other people than myself when you were talking about say sorry to yourself in the laundry. I feel like being able to forgive yourself is not a sign of weakness. Obviously, we don't want to just say, I'm just going to ignore this problem that I have or this character trait, this weakness in myself. But it isn't extending that empathy and understanding to yourself. Whether you're looking to forgive yourself or someone who's wronged you, it doesn't mean that you're condoning that behavior. It really is important to just learn to move past it, move on with your life instead of ruminating over those events that you can't change. Right, right. I do think we have a tendency to blame ourselves when things go wrong. I was just looking on the internet about forgiveness just to see who had talked about it. And so there was this line and it said, 15 steps to forgiveness. And it was by Wayne Dyer. And I thought, 15 bloody steps. What? That's that's a lot of steps. Wayne Dyer, I love you, but I can't do 15 steps. 15. What were, did you read them? What were they? They were all these little parts, but it wasn't really a formula. 
it wasn't really something I felt was actionable. I, I can't even remember. They were just like in different settings, do these things, but I didn't feel like oh. it really harmonized the whole thing. Did he have like a flow chart? Like no. maybe 15 for that. Like, okay, if it's this, then go down here. If like, choose your own adventure story. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that at all. So I feel like we need to address really the process of forgiveness. I mean, we've talked about it, but if I was going to help you, if you said to me, this horrible thing happened, someone really betrayed me, they, someone really hurt me, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? I would say to you that I really think it's, it comes down to three steps. You have to acknowledge the feelings. Right. First right. of all, I would say, I'm so sorry to you, but, but then I would say, and how like I'm asking for the advice. Yeah, I would say, how do you feel about it? So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we can walk through this. If you can think of someone that has hurt you, a situation that has been difficult for you, and you don't even necessarily have to share it. And if you told me about it, I want to validate. I want to validate that hurt for you. So I would say, I, I am so sorry. I would say, what is the worst part? What, what is, is the worst part about it? Because I can't guess what the worst part of it is. I can't guess. So give me a scenario. Can you give me anything? You're so forgiving. You probably haven't carried anything into this room, <laughs> into this conversation. Okay. So I was thinking back. I was really trying to think back on like childhood and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So I'll give you one. When you talk about childhood, I grew up in this neighborhood and there were three girls who lived in the neighborhood. Now that's a recipe for disaster. We all know this because girls can only be friends in twos, not threes. So there was always this constant triangular, but little girls, baby, little girls. Well, that's okay. So that's my belief because what I experienced was there wasn't a triangle. There was always a pairing off. And so sometimes I was the best friend and, and, and I would rotate through and sometimes the other girls would. My grandma and, used to say two is a couple, three is a crowd. So, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong, but I wonder if, yeah, <laughs> belief versus, yeah. So one of my most painful memories is remembering walking to and from school with these girls. And I don't know if it was a day, a month, a, a whole grade of school where if I tried to walk on the sidewalk by them, they would move and walk in the road. And if I tried to get in the road, they would walk on the sidewalk. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, it was, it was so hurtful. It was a visual confirmation. I don't belong. You guys don't like me. Oh my gosh. And, so then you would say, what is the worst part? Is that that? Yeah. So the worst part to me was being alone, knowing that they were together and I was alone. So that made me feel worthless. I go to that feeling, you know, so what, how did you feel? I felt worthless. Right. If they cared about me, they wouldn't treat me like that. I, I, the, you wouldn't you treat a dog like of, that. Right. Right. That's awful. So you... You identify the feelings and then you want to get them out of your body. Right. That's the biggest thing. It, it's in there. It's like that poison hurting you and, and resonating. I do have to say that one of those girls, we were playing in the back of a, my dad's pickup truck and I pushed her off and she hurt her arm and I was happy about it. She actually <laughs> broke her arm. <laughs> now, vengeance. Yes, vengeance. But karma, okay, putting yeah. it out into the world. Later on, I broke my arm at her house. So see, you Leave don't- your blackbirds home. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. The mind is really powerful. And what we visualize, what we see, the mind doesn't know if it's real or imagined. So we can take those feelings and we just need to imagine 
being able to encapsulate them into something. So you can imagine you're holding a ball. I like those lightning plasma balls and just like you have your fingers on it and all those angry emotions are just lightning into there. And then, you know, closing your eyes and imagining throwing that off a bridge, throwing it into the water below because, you know, when you drop something in water, it's gone forever. Feeling it leave your body. You can make a fist and just imagine you're holding a rock and all that anger is going in there and then just watch yourself skip that rock across a lake or however you want to let it go. We talked about breathing it out into a balloon. We've got to imagine and witness those feelings leaving. And if you can't give it away, imagine a loving presence being there to take it. Someone who's offering to take that burden for you. In my world, I, you know, I wanted my mom to fix everything, which that doesn't help either. You can't, as a mom, you can't go in and fix your kids' problems. You can't go to their bullies and say, don't bully my kid, right? So so that wasn't a real option. But I could, I could imagine that my mom could take that pain just like she would try and heal a physical wound for me and binding that up with love, giving that away after I've identified the feelings and then asking myself, what do I need? So, or asking the person that you're trying to help, what do you need? What do you need? So what did you need in that moment afterwards? Like, or, or what would you need now? I guess if you've been carrying that, like, not that you have, I'm sure you're the sorry, but you've already gone through that was in therapy a few years ago. I got rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember that little girl and it does create a sense of empathy for me. I do want to include people. I do look around in a setting and see who, who's being left out and just invite someone to join your table or turn your body to position it so that they can be included in the conversation. See, that's, that's the silver lining. That's what I gained from that experience is I know what it feels like to be excluded and I, now I know how to include. Right. But I think it's really important if we ask that question at the end, will you be okay? Because when we decide I'm gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. Either way, then we're able to move out of the past and into the present. So I remember when I first asked Sabella that after reading your book, um, Emotional 911, and to ask them, are you going to be okay? I was hesitant to ask Bells this question, to be honest. I didn't know if she would just be like, no, I'll never be okay ever again. And I would just have to deal with this. Like I'd have to figure this out. She said, yes, that she would be okay. And every time I've ever asked her, I mean, from that point, like, what's the worst part about it? How do you feel? Tell me more about what you're going through. Validating, acknowledging. I've always asked her that question and she says, yes, she will be okay. And that's such like this relief. I mean, as a parent to hear, I don't know what will happen if she ever says she won't. (laughs) If she said, no, I'm not going to be okay. Then I think you circle back to what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Not not even necessarily like, how can I help? What do you need? Because we want to teach others to be problem solvers. And if they can't, I don't know what I need. Well, then you you invite, yes, you say, would you like a suggestion? Maybe we could brainstorm. Let's look at some other things. Frozen conquest. Yes. Or talk about the things that you do to help. You know, when I feel really angry, I feel so much better if I punch a pillow or I feel so much better if I go for a run or I feel so much better if I eat chocolate. (gasps) I like that. I like not the chocolate. But <laughs> you don't like chocolate? I don't like chocolate. Okay. I I don't know if we I, can be friends. I like white chocolate, Hershey's cookies and cream. 
So I mean, a very specific white chocolate. I guess also like the hugs that it's like a blend of white chocolate and <laughs> chocolate, but mostly it's just the white chocolate. I know. I have two kids who don't love chocolate and I think they were switched at birth. They can't be my children. <laughs> you chocolate people, you have all these random rules. Like they like Tootsie Rolls. I'm like, that's chocolate. No, it isn't. It's not no. chocolate. No, no, that's poor man's chocolate. We don't like Tootsie Rolls either. <laughs> They are, they are, they are abomination, but I'm not a huge chocolate lover. So I guess I can't, can't be on my soapbox about Tootsie Rolls when I'm not, you know, fancy chocolate. Like circling back to forgiving yourself. Right. I think it's that taking responsibility, recognizing your part in it, feeling remorse, so that, you know, they talk about the four R's, responsibility, remorse, restoration, doing what we can to make it right. And if you can't make it right, pay it forward. If, if something you did has, you know, hurt someone and maybe that person's, maybe they've passed on or maybe they don't live in your world anymore. Just can you give, can you pay it forward? Can you do something to restore someone else? Can you be there to help someone else? And, and then the renewal, just recognizing I may have done something bad, but I am not bad. Right, right. Don't let it become an identity. Right, right. Well, this kind of reminds me of it. So I found online once, this was a couple of years ago. I wonder if it's still there. Um, you know, the languages of love and you can take the languages of love test. They also have a test for the languages of apology. So you could find out within, you know, your close friends or your spouse or parents, whomever, some people need to hear certain things in an apology. Like that could be acknowledging all that they, they did. Another thing would be if they need to set it right. Like, is there anything I could do to make it up to you needs to be said. But yeah, you can kind of learn what their languages of apology are. I thought that that was so interesting that you could customize the communication so they, they could feel supported. Like the five languages of love. It doesn't mean that someone doesn't like getting gifts, but maybe that's just not their thing versus, gosh, I just keep telling my husband how cute he is, but if words of affirmation are mm. not his thing and he'd much rather have, you know, chocolate, then I should figure that out <laughs> so he could feel my love. So with this language of apology. Ooh, yes, that's so good. There was a blog post. I want to say it was like a better cup of cocoa. There's the lady's blog post, but she talked about a better way to say, I'm sorry. And so she was actually a teacher. She practiced with her students. I'm sorry. But then they had to say what I did was wrong because so that they really understood, you know, when you tell a kid, say you're sorry, sometimes they don't. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But what they need to do is identify what they did wrong so that they can be aware in the future. So I'm sorry, what I did was wrong because, and then the next thing is in the future, I will. They talk about how they'll change the behavior. So in her classroom, the child was disrupting the class. She said, apologize to the class. So the child gets up and says, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong because I was wasting your teacher's, the teacher's time and I was wasting the class's time. So in the future, I will stay in my seat. I'll keep my mouth shut when the teacher is giving instructions. Now, my friend also added an extra step to this. Uh, She said, how can I make it right? So in a one-on-one setting, we would say, how can I make it right? And give that person a chance to to tell if if they need chocolate or they need white chocolate. (laughs) 
And I think that is really empowering to practice that, recognizing that it, it, it's a mistake, I'm not a mistake. Showing a child or showing someone else, I am sorry and I am willing to make this right and I am willing to adjust my behavior in the future. And then it makes it easier to forgive ourselves. When we say I'm sorry, it's actually setting us free. Yeah. I okay, like so what are our takeaways from today? Our takeaways are forgiveness. Who does it help? Because we know that anger only hurts you. It doesn't hurt doesn't hurt them. They don't know that they're that you're angry about it. Not all the time anyway. So forgiveness is about you. It's not yeah. about that other person. You're not doing them a charitable act, though you could be. Ultimately, it's for your peace. Jonathan Lockwood Huey said, forgive others not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Right, right. And that's all any of us want. We just, we do, we do. And we want to have peace in our life. And because when we have peace, then we can access, it's like almost the gateway to every other happy thing that we want in our life. To joy, contentment, excitement, enthusiasm, all of those things. Right, like peace should be the baseline and then you can build upon that. That you get there through acknowledging the hurt and that either approaching the person if you want to set a boundary or accepting the apology that was never received, maybe by talking it out with a friend or writing a letter that you'll burn later and never send ever or <laughs> choosing to send it if that's part of the boundary setting. Taking responsibility for our part. Right. Even if the responsibility is just what have I learned? What is the message in this for me? And how am I gonna go into the world differently? Right, and, and realizing how you've changed because of it and that, that is made you who you are today because of those experiences. Setting ourselves free, getting out of that prison. Yeah. In the gentle art of blessing, when he made that suggestion to bless everything you see, he ended his original pamphlet with, and of course, above all, do not forget to bless the utterly beautiful person you are. I love that. And you win the lottery, and you win the lottery, and I win the lottery. Yes! <laughs> oh, <Oprah> Winfrey! <laughs> Yay! I love it. I love it. <laughs>